G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast uh, with Matt Rowley. Joining me, uh, Scott Allen. Mate, how are you? Good, and you? Yeah, not too bad. A bit Good. more formal than our podcast on Saturday night? Yeah, no, not near the statue of Wally Lewis at Suncorp uh, in our normal kind of mode across Skype. Um, but uh, yeah, good to talk to you. Look, we'll get more into more detail about that later. But um, I've got a, a guest with us uh, today. Now, he's a mad keen British and Irish Lions supporter, being an Irishman himself. Um, but it's also a perfect time to talk to him because as the guy who runs Rabo Direct in Australia, obviously the, with the Rebels playing the Lions just uh, tomorrow night, now's an ideal time to have a yarn with him. It's uh, Greg McAweeny, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good, thanks. Now, I understand that uh, it wasn't ideal watching for you on, or there was no watching from you on uh, Saturday night. No, it was a tragedy. Uh, I was on a, on a plane back from Europe, so I was uh, somewhere between Abu Dhabi and, uh, and Sydney when the game was taking place. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I was nearly banging down the cockpit door trying to <laughs> just get the scores. Did they, give you, did they give you the score when you landed? Uh, I might have done a sneaky check on my iPad, and I think I might have been somewhere over Orange, and uh, I got connection for a brief couple of minutes and um, managed to get the score and the results, so it wasn't too bad. Okay, and then you hit the bar after that, did you? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> Although it was half six in the morning when I landed. <laughs> well, look, I, having seen all those Lions supporters flying up to Brisbane, you wouldn't be the only one who was drinking at like eight in the morning. Um, no, when, no. When, when I saw them, there's been some pretty hardcore-looking guys there. Um, yeah, I, actually, I was in Australia 12 years ago, and I, I went to the Gabba when, uh, when we won that first game. And uh, i never forget O'Driscoll's try and that when he kind of announced himself on the world stage. But uh, there's nothing quite like a Lions tour, I don't think. I think it even tops the World Cup in some, in some respects. It does, doesn't it? It's quite unique. And that's really, that really comes across to you when, when you're there, isn't it? But just before we talk about the Lions a little bit more, mate, so how did, what's your interest in, in rugby been? You know, where did it, how did it start? I mean, obviously, growing up in, in Ireland, um, it, rugby is, a, is one of the pretty top sports um, um, back home. So I've always had a great interest in rugby. And I think over the years, to be honest, I've, I used to, uh, you know, soccer and, and rugby were um, kind of my favourite sports. And I think over the years, to be honest, I've, I've kind of gone away from soccer and much prefer rugby because of the, uh, I suppose, the integrity and the, uh, of, the, of the sport, to be honest. And uh, it's just a, a great game that goes across the world. And, you know, you can make so many friends and, and stay in touch with guys all over the world just from, from the sport. And uh, I think it's, it's just a, the game they play in heaven, I think. So. Yeah, it was so, so, so it is, in my opinion, as well. Um, you just, t- just before, we, before that, you kind of touched on how it's quite a unique event, uh, the, the Lions. What does that look and feel like from the other side of things, you know, um, from a British and Irish Lions supporter? What, what makes it so unique in your eyes? Well, I think it's the, uh, it's the, the, the history of it. Um, mm. I mean, there's, there's very few sports that, um, where you have that kind of his, history and legacy that, that, that doesn't die um, through generations. And even when the sport turned from, from the amateur days to the professional side, um, I think the, the heritage in the Lions has probably only got stronger. Um, yeah. And we all know it's, it really is the pinnacle of, um, of a player's career to get picked for, um, for Lions because you, you truly are the best of the best. 
Um, and I think that that's that heritage is really important to, uh, to the game. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think you can't. I think the World Cups are important, and uh, and obviously they come around every four years. But you know, the Lions only come to Australia every twelve years, and mm. just having coming back from Europe where I spent a weekend in Dublin. Um, the coverage of the Lions is just wall to wall, and it, it it surpasses the coverage that that we're seeing down here. So it really does captivate the yeah, the imagination. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I mean, you I, you came out for the last one even, so you're obviously, yeah. you've been bitten for a while. Yeah, no, I was living here last time. I've been forward back to Europe a bit in between, in between but um, yeah, I was here for the Lions tour last time, and when we uh, had the hearts broken, and funny enough, um. Because uh, we sponsored the Melbourne Rebels, um, I often have a yarn to Rod McQueen about it, and uh, I've, I've, I always tell him I've never forgiven him for uh, for actually be- beating the Lions, uh, you know. But, uh. um, so, mate, uh, what were your views? Now, then, I mean, I guess you got to watch it in the calm light of day, and also knowing, uh, you know, what the result was going to be. I guess uh, it's a different watching experience, isn't it? When when your emotions aren't going, aren't seesawing all, all over the place. Um, what struck you about the game? Yeah, no, completely. It's a much different experience, isn't it, when, when you know the result. Um, look, I, I thought, like, probably like many people, the Lions were, um, were, were lucky to, to get away with it in the end. And um, there's plenty of times I've seen Curtly Beale knock them over in the last minute, so he was just desperately unlucky, to be honest. Yeah. But um, I didn't feel that Lions played particularly well, to be honest. Um, I mean, they had more line breaks and, and that kind of thing, but I didn't feel they were that kind of slick, well-oiled machine, um, and the scrum probably wasn't as dominant a weapon as they would have hoped, particularly in the second half. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think they, they got away with it. Um, and at one stage, when the game was looking to get a bit broken, that's where the Wallabies are the most dangerous. You know, when you get the likes of Genia and, and Beale and O'Connor, when, they, when the game gets broken up, um, it's, that's where they can kill you. And I think the Lions were, were really fortunate. And it'll be, it'll be a different game on Saturday. Um, and the Wallabies have lost quite a few with injuries, but so have the Lions with mm-hmm. Paul O'Connell. So, and the one thing with the Wallabies is they never know when they're beaten. So um, I think it's going to be a crack of a game on Saturday coming up. Oh, yeah. I'd say, Greg, I also imagine you know, every Irish fan and every Lions fan is just shocked that Paul O'Connell's gone out. Yeah, look, it's, it's, um, it's a big loss to, to the Lions. Um, as a biased Irishman, I would say that, of course. But um, <laughs> he, he really has come back from, from a period of when I thought he was going to have to retire through injury um, when he had such uh, um, back issues and all sorts. That, uh, he's, but he's dragged himself back um, Got back playing for Munster, and then he's made the Lions tour against the odds. And he's, you know, he really has had a, been a really a strong performer for the Lions, and a, and a, a man of his experience with previous Lions tour. And I know that Gatlin uh, saw him as a, a natural leader in that squad, and, and he did play pretty well at the weekend. Mm. And um, you know, he's he's a huge uh, a huge loss, I think, because they, they've lost quite a few players in, in the last few weeks, and he's not one you'd want to lose. No. Um, so it's obviously an opportunity for the next guy coming in, but. Um, I mean, hopefully they can uh, they can still do the job without him. It's a shame for him because he's at the end of his career. So obviously he would have loved to, have, like O'Driscoll would love to end on a on a Lions series win. But um, I guess he can say if they do win it, he's he has played a big part in it. But he'd love to be there at the end, I'm sure. Well, he was mm-hmm. definitely he was definitely no sentimental passenger, was he? I mean, you know, he he was making a massive impact, um, you know, at the highest level uh, throughout the yeah. tour. Yeah, I don't think Gatland. Um, I don't think sentimentality is uh, matters to Gatland. To be honest, I mm-hmm. think he makes the. Uh, Makes the hard calls. Maybe the exception of Warburton, as um, you know, <laughs> at seven. But <laughs> other than that, I think he's he's uh, he's pretty ruthless when he comes to picking his side. So you you got to be in there on merit. Mm. And it's been a real swing though over the last twenty four hours in lock uh, stocks for both because I think most of us were probably thinking or b- that uh, we were going to lose our talisman lock in James Horwell. 
Um, but, you know, we wake up this morning and it's kind of the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, he's a, he's a lucky man, I think, Horwell. Um, so I think he, 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 I don't know, was it intentional? You'd, you'd like to think it wasn't. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and you know, when you're in in the rocks and all that, and there's so much pressure coming from both sides, it's, you know, things happen, you know, so mm. but he seems to have uh, maybe gotten away with it. Um, and uh, given the injuries that the Wallabies have had, I think if they lost Horwell, that would be a killer blow for them, to be honest, because uh, their back line is going to be looking a bit callow, I think, uh, come Saturday. But, mm. you know, those other guys will come in, do a decent job. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but uh, so how do you feel about that then? Because I think all the the press was about whoever, you know, I think Jake White came out and said, like, whoever wins this first test has got it. Are you feeling that confident now? Uh, I never believe that, to be honest, because you're going to have to win two games, aren't you, to, to win it. So um, there's all the talk about you win the first game and you build momentum and, mm. and on you go to the next one. And it's, but, I mean, every game of this is winner takes all. And 12 years ago, um, you know, the Lions won the first game and they lost the next two. So, yeah. um, you know, you get a lot of that kind of talk before um, before the games actually start with fellas trying to put pressure on each other. But uh, I, I don't think it matters that much. I, I think the Wallabies have, have every chance of, of coming out and... and uh, yeah, I think if the Lions play like they did um, at the weekend, I think the Wallabies would have a good chance to take them, even even if they are missing a few lads like Adam Ashley Cooper and a few others. But, uh, you know, it's, the Lions will need to step it up, I think. Okay. And, mate, just, just going backwards, I guess, a little bit, as a, as a seasoned veteran yourself now of Lions tours then, um, having seen, uh, you know, the, the 2001 version as well, do you, do you have any impressions of any differences, just whether it's the way that... Um, you know, as, as an observer here in Australia, the way that Australians approaching it, or the way that Lions supporters approaching it, has it changed in your eyes, or is it the same? Well, I think the um, from a support base, I think um, I think the Aussies were kind of pretty embarrassed um, last time around, mm-hmm. and you had to see a red of the Gabba, and were kind of quite determined that wasn't going to happen again. Um, so, I mean, that's quite interesting to see that kind of play out, and, and it's great to see the Aussies come out and support the team and wear their colours. Yeah. Um, I think probably Gatlin is probably a, a better coach, um, and he's you know he he's got a lot of success, and uh, so I think he's if you compare that to say the Clyde Woodward um, series to New Zealand, which was a debacle, mm. um, it was more about spin than than, uh, than rugby. I felt sometimes, <laughs> you know, I think this is a very very focused team yeah. um, with, a, with a good coaching ticket. So um, I think if anyone can can do the business, I think it'll be Gatland. Uh, he's very very professional. Yeah, no, he was he was excellent. I mean. Um, we actually saw him unbelievably speaking at a, a rugby lunch the day before, um, and he was an amazingly candid individual as well. I've got to say, um, but um, yeah, okay. So yeah, he's a straight he's a straight talker. There's no doubt. And when he yeah. was uh, ditched as Ireland coach, um, uh, just because he couldn't get on with all the Blazers in the uh, in the Irish Rugby Football Union, it was uh, I think it was a big loss to, to Irish rugby because he, he does he calls it like he sees it, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously his track record has gone on from there. So, um, yeah, he's an excellent coach. I mean, he, he does play the mind games and get into a bit of verbal stuff when he, mm. maybe he shouldn't shouldn't do. But, uh, you know, he just tries to, you know, create pressure and uh, on the other sides. No, it definitely works. I mean, I think he just, he set that uh, whole narrative around Beal. Um, not Beal, around Cooper, um, you know, coming into the series um, with some, you know, very well-judged uh, comments. Uh, but anyway, look... Um, so that's the Lions series. We're going to be talking about that endlessly for the rest of the weekend um, anyway. Um, you're in quite a unique uh, situation. I know, for example, Rabo Direct, you guys won an award just last year for sports sponsorship, if, if, if I'm right. Um, so I guess my, you know, so, and you've been there since the beginning of the Rebels. Uh, so you guys obviously, you know, went in with both feet. 
um, you know, what was it about rugby that made you think, you know, when you were looking where you guys could have put your marketing dollar as far as or sponsorship dollar, what, what made you think rugby was a good fit for you guys? Yeah, we went into it with our eyes, uh, our eyes open and, <laughs> and with both feet, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, Look, I think uh, well, Rabbit Direct is a, is a kind of a, a virtual virtual brand, and obviously we're part of, of Rabobank, um, you know, which is a, a large kind of Dutch uh, cooperative bank. But uh, the Rabbit Direct business, um, you know, which is all about online savings, um, you know, needs to be needs to be more tangible. Mm-hmm. And sports sponsorship can can help in that regard, uh, kind of to bring the bank and make it more real for people. Mm-hmm. And um, because we're a cooperative bank. Um, with our roots and heritage, you know, it's 115 years of it. Um, we we take a sports sponsorship from the perspective of grassroots upwards, as opposed to kind of elite players downwards. And and uh, we have a long, long history. Um, you know, we were sponsoring uh, a professional cycling team, you know, for Tour de France and etc. for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's all about the community. Right. Uh, gen- genuinely, and what we thought we could um, we could do something interesting with the rebels because uh, often when you're um, you're looking at what can you what could you sponsor a partner with, and we tend to prefer the term partnership internally rather than sponsorship, mm-hmm. um, because we were looking when you're looking at various different sponsorship entities, um, you, you know if you're taking something over from somebody else, you know, you've got the legacy of having a, a sponsor before you, and you know it takes a while to. To get the old one out and the new one in and, and all of that kind of thing. Like say, say for example, if we had sponsored the Wartas, you know, we'd HSBC been there for twelve years. You know, it would take, probably take us five years for people to realise it wasn't HSBC sponsoring um, yeah. the Taz. And what was interesting about the Rebels um, was well, one is obviously rugby demographic is um, a nice fit for our business because um, you know rugby fans tend to be of a you know a higher socioeconomic grouping. Um, generally to be financially savvy, self-directed, and like to be in control of their money and their finances. So it was a nice kind of fit, you know, in that regard. And with the Rebels then, I mean, setting up a uh, a rugby franchise in what is a sporting capital of Australia, but which is completely AFL-mad um, city, where, you know, even in the off-season, they can still manage to fill newspapers with 12 pages of of got about AFL and yeah. <laughs> which is incredible. Yeah. Um and the rebels saw themselves as a as a challenger um, in that market and, and the way they want to approach rugby and how they want to play it and be you know that little innovation. And we also see ourselves as a challenger brand in banking where we try and you know take it up to the big four banks. So it was kind of a nice natural fit um, between the brands. Yeah. And you know you think about who's backing the rebels at the time it was Harold Mitchfield you know you know run the largest uh, media agency in in Australia. You had uh, Sterling Mortlock was involved. You had uh, Rob McQueen, uh, you know, both still involved. So, you know, so you had people in in uh, in the club, you know, who had great character and had, had a good winning track record. And that was important to us too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew they weren't going to be going to be world beaters, you know, <laughs> within a couple of years. So we're you know, very very pragmatic um, about that. Mm-hmm. And also, the rebels are, are really into um, five, what they call five star engagement. So it's about having. Uh, players knowing they have life after rugby because your career is quite short, so they yeah. really make sure that they, um, you know, they get involved in the community uh, with charities and clubs and and uh, you know businesses, and that was really important to us too. And, and we try and help in that regard too by um, helping some of the players, um, you know, with, with life after rugby too. So, right. so we're yeah. just we're just talking about that because um, you know obviously. You, and like any franchise does, so I guess this is just a, you know, you go into sponsorship, and this is always one one of the big questions. But you know, with the ups and downs of the with the with, of the franchise, both on field and off field, 
yeah, how has that been? Has that been, um, again, has that been a surprise of some of those or how, how, how's, how have you guys felt as the partner in those situations? Uh, it hasn't really been a surprise. Um, and, you know, you need to be uh, pretty level-headed for these things. And, you know, given everything we've been through with, with sports, um, sponsorship with cycling and all the rest of it, uh, which has been a yeah. whole lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, the antics of Danny Cipriani or, or Curti or other players, you know, is only <laughs> like a drop in the ocean. But um, so, I mean, for, like, for example, would, I, would we have sponsored a rugby league team? Definitely not. Wouldn't have gone near it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, there's stuff there every day of the week, um, which as a brand you don't want to be dealing with. Right. But um, I think the way the club deals with the issues um, that come up from time to time, not that many, to be quite honest. Mm. But the, I mean, the issues with Cipriani, um, you know, that was dealt with. Him. I think was dealt with quite professionally. And I thought the way the club stood him down and, and you know kicked him off the team, even though they needed him, because yeah. um, you know he had the ability to, to do the um, you know do, do the things very differently. But um, the club stood him down because the culture of the club was far more important than one individual. Yeah, and that's really important if you want to have you know a club with integrity and and build the right kind of culture. And then the issues with Kirtley, um, you know, there's, there's no real badness in Kirtley. He just, you know, he has an alcohol problem um, that he, you know, he needed to face up to and first recognise he had one. And um, I think that he was probably in denial um, with that for for probably too long. And mm. and you know, these kids are, um, you know, the superstars really. And you know, people like James O'Connor, for example. His first job was playing rugby. He's never had what you or I would call a proper job. Yeah. And when you're told you're a, you know, you're a superstar from the age of 16, you know, well, that's if that's what people keep telling them, um, that's what they believe. So, yeah. so they need the right people around them and the right mentoring around them. And uh, and that's one thing what the rebels have been trying to do um, with with their players. So, um, you know, we've I think they've done a pretty good job with dealing with the issues they've had. Mm-hmm. And so, Greg, in terms of sponsorship in general. How do you measure your return? Is it something where you know you survey people to see whether there's a brand recognition increase, or are there direct things you can look at to see whether you know you're getting a return on your massive investment? Yeah, I mean, well, given that I'm a huge fan of rugby, I have to post-rationalise uh, whatever response <laughs> rebels. But no, seriously, no, there, there are, of course, yeah. There's, I mean, there's hard and soft measures, and uh, if you were just to use metrics of um, I'm comparing my uh, if I was to, if I was to invest X million in media um, you know media buying versus X million in sports sponsorship it's not a fair comparison. So we've we've we have a range of different KPIs, but one is obviously brand awareness um, for us and brand engagement, uh, which is you know another metric for us. And certainly before we started the uh, Rebels partnership, we were uh, our brand awareness in New South Wales was higher than Victoria, and that's turned around now. So Victoria is um, higher than New South Wales. Mm. So um, you know, thankfully, so you know, I would say, given the investment we're putting into it, mm. um, and yeah, you would have you know, have other metrics on you know um, how many accounts did you open up, um, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, and then as well as the softer side of it, which would be um, you know, on all the community engagement pieces that we like to do. Uh, and support the community with the rebels. So I mean, there's countless hours um, go into that. Um, you know, things like the uh, conversion of clubs that we run with the rebels, where I think we've invested over 50 grand a year into the um, into the, uh, Victorian Rugby Union clubs. I mean, it's very hard to get a you know uh, metrics to say how good or bad is that been for us in terms of investment. But it's something we said we'd always do that we would we would leave a legacy in the community. So and this was 
just part of what we do, to be honest. So, yeah, there will be a range of, of hardware and soft, software metrics that we measure continually. Mm. And we would sit down with the Rebels as partners and we look to, you know, what can we, what's working well, what's not working well, uh, can we do different things together and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, and if you've managed to cut through AFL, um, then, then that's, quite, that's quite impressive. I understand one of the routes that you guys used was, um, you know, kind of quite innovative with um, Rabo Rugby. It's a competition, I think a social media competition you guys have been running. It's kind of obviously coming towards the end now at the end of the season. What's your kind of takeaway on that using these kind of these new channels? Yeah, look, we borrowed that from our colleagues in, in Ireland, actually. Coming coming from our sponsorship of the Rebels here, um, we our Rabbit Direct um, uh, brand in Ireland, which I had managed for a number of years, um, we we launched uh, or we sponsored the Celtic League over there, and so it became the Rabbit Direct Pro 12. And um, the team over there c- came up with this, uh, what they call like, Rabbit Score. So it's essentially a, a social media app where you, you get engagement with fans, uh, and leaderboards, and the more engaged they are, and the more you know tweets and photographs and all that kind of stuff they upload, you win prizes and things. Mm-hmm. So for us, the reason we did that was, um, I mean, obviously you know you know yourself from from Green and Gold Rugby that people are, are highly engaged in, in digital, um, you know, as sports fans, and mm-hmm. we wanted to we wanted to find different ways to engage with our um, fan base um, across the country, and uh, it was just a nice way of, of, of doing that. Uh, there's no hard sell or anything in it, but it's just something we wanted to try, and uh, you know, it's gone pretty well for us, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll reevaluate it at the end of the season and, and see how, how it's went for us. Okay. So, mate, um, with the game tomorrow night, uh, with the uh, uh, Rebels hosting the Lions, uh, you know, you, you've got two, ba- two babies here. Um, how are you going to split them? Uh, it doesn't matter who wins, does it? I'm, I'm a winner either way, so it's great. Um, I was I was kind of joking with uh, with Rob Clark about it, the you know the, the new CEO of of, um, of the Rebels, and I said, look, I'm happily for the the Rebels to to uh, hockey the hockey the Lions on Tuesday night, but uh, as long as the the Lions beat the Wallabies on the Saturday, I didn't mind. <laughs> but um, it's not a bad. I mean, they've they put out pretty much a full strength team, and the Rebels, yeah. you know, minus obviously O'Connor and um, a couple of others, but. Um, I think it'll be a cracking game. It'll be a full house in Emmy Park. We, you know, the nearest we got to a full house was the um, the opening uh, game for the Rebels against the Taz when they launched. It was about twenty six thousand at that game. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you've been down to Emmy Park for, for a Rebels game, but um, the atmosphere that they generate there is just amazing. I mean, I've been to a lot of rugby games um, overseas and in Australia, and uh, that Melbourne crowd is um, when it comes to with rugby knowledge. I mean, it might be a, obviously a a smaller uh, rugby population in Victoria, but they they get behind that team and they know their rugby, and it'll be a cracking atmosphere. I have mm. to say, and you know, I, I I don't think the Rebels will win that game, but they they won't die trying. You know, that's for sure. They'll give it everything. Well, if you'd said to me at the beginning of this tour, you said, "Oh, which one's going to be, um, you know, a, a slam dunk for the uh, for the Lions?" I might have said, "Well, the Rebels is going to be tough." But you know, having seen what the Brumbies did to um, you know, a non-full-strength uh, Lions side a week ago. Um, and then I looked at that Rebels team that they put out, and like you say, it's pretty close to the best they could feel. You know, I, I don't think it's going to... It's definitely not going to be like a, you know, a walkover. I don't, I don't think it's going to look like anything like uh, the, uh, you know, the force or, or country or anything like that. No, I mean, I think the force was shambles. I mean, I think mm. what Foley did there was just, you know, I think was, he, he got karma because, uh, you know, he, he mm. got beaten by a, a second-string Taz, which it kind of felt, well, comes around, goes around. But, uh, yeah. I mean, Jake White, he's uh, he's a canny coach, as we all know. And, and where I mean, the Brumbies do the simple things exceptionally well and uh, sort of set piece and, you know, the breakdown, you know, they're absolutely ferocious. Mm. And, you know, when I watched the Brumbies play the Rebels, and they just... 
just suck the life out of you. Mm. Um, and the Rebels play a different brand of, of football to that, but mm. um, you know their breakdowns been pretty good this year. Um, you know they've and the Rebels surprise you. You know um, there's times when you know you think they're beaten out of sight and they come back. And uh, I mean this season has been a really interesting season for the Rebels because they haven't registered that many wins. But you know in I think at one stage they had the most bonus points and um, almost any other team in, in the comp because. They come so close to winning some games. They were only losing games by you know five or six points, which is a far cry from where they were the previous season. So yeah. um, you know they they uh, you know they almost beat the Crusaders again this season, and yeah. they've beaten the Tiles. So yeah. who but knows? Who knows what will happen? Well, that's something Scott and I've been talking about throughout the season. Whenever we've tried to tip the Rebels, we've always got it hopelessly wrong, um, or I have at least. I'll speak for myself um, because yeah, you just you kind of don't know what's going to come out, but. You know, we were talking about it earlier on in the season, saying, you know, well, you know, who'd want to pick up that team if, as a coach if there was a coaching change? But now you can really see the nucleus of something that, you know, it looks like, you know, with, you know, a little bit more good direction and maybe a few players. And, for example, you know, a guy like Colby Fienga moving down there next season. Um, you know, they could, you know, and with, uh, with what Higgers has been doing there this season, and he'll be back again, who knows where they could go. Yeah, look, Higgers have been a revelation. You know, it took him a while to get to start, as you expect, you know, moving to a new city and, you know, new combinations. But I think the um, taking on the captain's role as well, is, he's really stepped up. And uh, and when he's not playing, actually, he's you know, he's really missed, I have to say. Mm. But, um, and, and the Rebels have had to um, transition from really being a, um, you know, one of the oldest uh, average ages to almost one of the youngest. So they've had such a uh, turnover in the, in the playing ranks. It's mm. not been easy at all. But there's some great young talent coming through that team. And I guess if you look for inspiration, you look at what Jacob White's done with the Brumbies. Because yeah. they were a shambolic um, when he took over. Mm. And then he's, you know, with, with some great coaching staff in the background, um, he has really turned around some fellas who you'd never heard of to be coming, uh, you know, knocking on the door of a Wallabies um, uh, selection. So... Um, that's kind of your uh, your template, I guess, for us. And yeah. um, I'd be pretty hopeful that, uh, I mean, that the next season would they be knocking on, on the door of, of the top six? It might be a bit, bit of a big ask, but I don't think they'll be far off it, to be honest. Mm. No, they've been looking really good. Anyway, mate, look, I'm, I uh, hope that you get a, I hope you get one win this week, um, and that's about it. Um, I, I must I must admit we, we need it to keep this series alive you, you might not agree with me on that one but um, no we do I agree and yeah. I think to be honest although as much as I'd like to see the Lions um, take out the series because they haven't won a series for, for you know decades so yeah. I think it is but I actually think on balance that the uh, Australian rugby need the Wallabies win um, more than anything to try and um, just lift the sport uh, yeah. it wasn't a fantastic World Cup and if, you, if they did win win the the Lions series and it sets them up nicely for the championship and uh, they, they might kick on from there. Yeah, no, definitely. But it was funny, actually, we talked to, um, when we, I said we heard Warren Gatlin talk at this lunch and he said, uh, I think he was asked, you know, did they think they'd do it 3-0? And he said, well, it definitely won't be 3-0 because if we get 2-0 up, um, we'll be drinking all the third week. Uh, so there's no way we're going to win. win they would know we win, win the third anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see who wins the drinking competition. <laughs> anyway, look, thanks for your time and, and coming on. It's been great to have a chat with you. Um, My pleasure. And um, yeah, enjoy. And uh, yeah, let's here's to a, a good rest of the uh, the Lions tour. Well, it won't be dull, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Thank, good, thanks good. very much, Greg. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Right there. Right there.
So he definitely knows his stuff, old Greg, and uh, like any Irishman, he, he can talk. Um, so yeah, good to, good to have a, a chat with him there. I've always been fascinated about the, the whole sports sponsorship thing, and uh, obviously with the way the Rebels have gone and their ups and downs, it was very interesting to hear somebody on the other side of it, wasn't it? Yeah, and there's a significant investment from these sponsors. Yeah. And it, our gone are the days, I reckon, when you know clubs that sort of say, great, you know, pay us 50 grand, we'll put your name on our shorts and that's it. Mm. We'll throw you a couple of tickets to the games. I imagine now that you know it's something where you really have to get involved with them and really manage the process to keep showing them they're getting a return because yeah. you don't want to be going through it every year saying, oh, we'll get a new sponsor. Yeah, no, definitely. And what we know that, um, you know, for example, with the Waratahs, HSBC, I think, was the only thing between them and... And, and bankruptcy, um, you know, because they didn't have any people turning up to the games. So, um, yeah, it's an it's an important bit, and it's fascinating to hear about it. Um, okay, but look, even while we've been on that podcast, so it's only five o'clock here. I mean, today, what a day for news, a in rugby and around the Lions, um, and then my God, Australian sports just gone crazy because uh, you've just <laughs> you said while we were talking to Greg, what was the story that's broken? There's been a, a warrant issued for the arrest of Digby Uani by a Melbourne court. Now, you know, I didn't think he played that badly on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, he went missing on the weekend and he's gone missing. He didn't turn up for a court hearing about that assault, <laughs> assault charge. So, yeah, missing on two counts. And that means obviously the Wallabies management would have to put him in the car, drive him down to the courthouse and say, Look, we're turning up here to be arrested, but can we have three weeks' grace, please? Oh my God! Look, I, you know, I don't want to say he or his managements are idiots, but you know, how can you forget that? Well, and 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 honestly, if you don't turn up for your first hearing, they normally say, "Well, look, someone get in touch with him." Yeah. So it's, it's not like they do it on the first no, no show. Yeah. So somehow his lawyer hasn't told him, or yeah, you know, who knows? I'm just speculating on that, but. That for a court isn't... to issue a warrant for your arrest from somebody who's a well-known sports star, so it's not like, well, he's gone overseas and we don't know where he is, yeah. then God knows what's going on there. Oh, that's just mind-boggling. And then and we talk about the other sport, because obviously the other thing that's kind of broken this afternoon, Australian cricket is in total turmoil. So they've got, they've got rid of the old coach. And I think, have they announced that Lehman is the, the next coach? Lehman? They have, yeah. yes. Okay. So the, the cricket board sacked Mickey Arthur. Mm. Layman's the new coach. He's got 16 days to prepare a team for the Ashes. And on the back of that, Michael Clark has resigned as a selector. <laughs> <laughs> so the last 24 hours, as you say, have just, just gone berserk. Well, because then the other story, and uh, in the last 12 hours or so, and, and I mentioned it uh, when we were chatting with Greg, was that you know if you'd asked anyone, I think, 12 hours ago, you'd be saying Australia would have been looking for a new a captain for this weekend uh, based on the fact that it looked like uh, James Horwell. Well, at least if you, you know, if you go by what was trending in Twitter, I must admit, because all I saw was, as I think it was as I landed yesterday um, from Brisbane, was everyone saying, oh, I've seen this footage and it doesn't look good for Horwell. Don't know how he can explain that. When I finally got to see it, I kind of thought, well, I think there's a bit of doubt in that. I don't think it was quite as blatant as it could have been. It slowed down and zoomed in on you know, um, you know, it wasn't lovely. It wasn't beautiful watching, but I did think actually there was a bit, bit of chicken left on that bone. What did you see in it? Well, I think the angle of his leg doesn't look good for him. Mm. You know, the fact that he moves his leg in like that, I just can't get an explanation of why that happened. Mm. But then the thing that I guess 
balances it up a little bit is there's no way he could see who was on the ground or what was on the ground for that matter because yeah. he, he was clearly over the top of a couple of guys who were in the way. I think it's a bit like uh, a TMO decision. There's no clear evidence the ball was grounded. We all know it's probably grounded, but no clear evidence, so no try. Well, what you can't do here is, and they've said, is you can't rule on intent from a video. Right. He, he's effectively said, I didn't mean to do it. Mm. There's nothing that they can look at and say, well, yes, you did, because the video says this, because it, it doesn't. Mm. So, you know, I think he's lucky. Mm. Well, yeah. I guess so, but I mean, like, uh, if the ruling is about intent, I just, uh, it, to me, it didn't, it wasn't conclusive, like you say, that it was going to be. But you're right to get away with absolutely nothing on a pretty, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, sensitive issue. Um, but geez, the timing of it. Oh my god! You know, with everything else that's been going on, to have lost your captain through that. But then, you know, like we were saying with Greg, you know, the, the turnaround is at the, you know, at the same period of time they've now gone and lost Paul O'Connell, who is really a, a, an anchor in that team, isn't he? Yeah, well, if you look at the comparison, you know, you say advantage Wallabies, given what's happened there. Yeah. And we, we need some advantage, don't we, given, given the other injuries and people who won't be available? Yeah, so let's get into that. So as you and I were shouting into my phone um, as it ran out of power and people tried to ring me um, on uh, Saturday night straight after the game at Suncorp, we were discussing and saying, oh, geez, what's going to happen you know, when you look at these injuries? Now, the ones we were thinking of uh, were obviously Lele Ofano. And now, as we know now, it sounds like it was, as concussions go, not a bad one. And they're assuming he's back in on Saturday. Um, same goes for Barnes, I believe, that he's going to be cleared as well. Um, I think uh, the bigger question with Barnes might not be the, the concussion, but you know, whether he you know, should be picked on form. Um, after what he showed. But then the one we know that's definitely out is Pat McCabe. He's definitely out of Melbourne. Um, and we're waiting to hear on Ashley Cooper, I think, on Thursday. Um, with, all, with knowledge of all that, uh, now, and what they've done then is they've brought in um, George Smith has come back. Now, considering none of those injuries were to anyone in the back row, that's interesting. Obviously, that's just based on his you know, form and his ability. Um, uh, Jesse Mogg is, is pulled in. Um, so I guess that was in question as far as what was going to happen to Barnes. And then Ben Tapawai has come in, and I guess that's uh, in, in cover with what was happening with Leila Fano. Putting all these things into the mix, I mean, on Saturday night we were imagining them having to construct bizarre backlines. What do you think it looks like now? Well, I, I guess the first question has to be what they're going to do at 10. Mm. Um, James O'Connor was ineffective, mm. and that's, I think, putting it nicely. One of the interesting stats that I looked at today, he touched the ball five times in the whole first half. Jeez. The Wallabies had 69 phases of play, and he only touched the ball five times. How, so, is, that, how is that possible at 10? Well, well, that's why, you know, as people say, he was missing. Yeah. Um, it improved slightly in that he touched it 14 times in the second half. Right. So 19 times for your 10 to touch the ball in an entire game of rugby, mm. you know, just isn't good enough. Now, he didn't make any mistakes, so he didn't cost the Wallabies the game. Well, sorry, his goal kicking wasn't great, but in general play didn't make any mistakes. So the first question has to be there, what do you do? So... Deans hasn't brought in a specialist 10 in his replacements. So you know, he's down to the choice again of James O'Connor, move Kirtley Beale in there, or if Beric Barnes is available, move him in. I can't see that 
he's going to want to disrupt um, the back line that much by changing your 10, particularly when today he's come out with the, the very strong statement, I think, which said um, uh, his first out, hit out was pretty effective. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, in the psychology of Deans, I just I can't see him making this, this, this change. The only time yeah. he's going to change Dean uh, O'Connor, I, and I'd say even irrespective of his next game, because obviously if, if, if we lose, it won't matter anyway, but um, I, I can't see him changing O'Connor before the end of the Lions series. And the way Deans' mind work, I think he's probably in the chair right through the end of the rugby championship, bar yeah. injury. So if you lock him in at 10, and mm. I, I share your view, I think that's who it'll be, mm. then if Lee Lefano is right, and that, that amazes me, um, I know they've changed the concussion rule, so there's now a test you do, mm. whereas it used to be there was at least one, somewhere between one and three weeks that you were mandatory uh, stood down mm. um, when you were, I mean, he was knocked out, I know not for long, but anyway, so look, if he's right, I'm, I can't believe he won't go with him at 12, there's, there's no evidence apart from the fact that, you know, he made a, he, a his technique on the first tackle was poor, Yeah. so... He'd be 12. Ashley Cooper, if he's out, 13's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the guys in the squad, your options there would be Rob Horn, 13. Mm-hmm. Or I guess, well, there's, I suppose there's two others you could think about. One would be Digby Ioani and the other one would be Nick Cummins. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, I, there's no one else there that's played 13. Yeah. I mean, you I- could come up with a wild theory and say, throw Falau at 13 and... Given how well he played, I'm sure he could do anything. But yeah. you know, probably Rob Horn would be 13. Or no, I suppose that's the other one I forgot about is Tapawai. Yeah. Well, that, considering he's only just been pulled into the squad, Horn was already there. Uh, yeah. My reading would be that he put he'd, he'd go with Horn, would he? Yeah. Um, so then you go. Um, I don't know whether he'll keep Falau or at, on the wing. Because I think he wants Falau to play at least three or four positions. If we can just get a few more of him, we'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, I would reckon he'd stay on the right wing. Yeah. I would be amazed if that was how the back line looked, if Beal doesn't start at 15. Yeah. Because Barnes was really ordinary, yeah. even before he got injured. Yeah. Um, Digby, he had a very quiet game. Clearly, you know, wasn't at full fitness or... Yeah, he didn't come looking for the ball like he normally does. Mm. And if he was fit and firing, I think he would have been everywhere. Um, but I would reckon that Deans would go with him again. So I reckon you're back to then, if Ashley Cooper's fit, there's only one change. Mm. Beal in for Barnes. But it's interesting as well, in, in re-watching that, I wonder, that question of why was Digby so quiet. You could be right, it could just be form or fitness or whatever. But it seemed to me that... the, the the whole aim was to get the ball to the wide winger in Falau rather than to try and engage that blind winger in Digby, which, for example, works so well with Quaid. And I guess the other bit there is that Digby's got that understanding with, with Cooper. Um, well, so I wonder if that didn't suit. Well, the concept of a blind winger, mm. I mean, they play left and right wingers. So when the yeah. ball moves to the left, uh, sorry, to the right, you know, the left winger is the open winger now. Sure. He's not a blind winger anymore. Mm. I put up a video today that looked at the first test attack opportunities. And you'll see in there that they probably ignore Digby on the sideline with no one around him more than they ignore Falau. Mm. They do ignore Falau a few times, which, again, you look at and think, 
why wouldn't you try and take advantage of that guy playing as well as he was? Mm. Both wingers were stood on the touchline catching a cold while the inside guys stuffed around and missed massive opportunities out wide. So maybe the, the intention or the instruction to the wingers was stay out there, we will get the ball to you somehow. And that part of the plan broke down. And maybe that's Leo Lafano was going to be the link. Mm. But, um, you know, even when Beal came in, uh, they still, there was too much being done by the inside men. When you, if you look at the video and you look at the massive holes and just say, why on earth didn't somebody recognise that space and get it there? So, but I mean, is this back to that, you know, and that was, you know, part of where it all went so wrong, I think, as you said, so cataclysmically wrong. I mean, I haven't, you've just put this post up, um, or this article up and with this analysis actually just before we came on air. So even I haven't had a chance to have a look at it, but. You know, is that because at the end of the day you've had Pat McCabe and then a flanker playing at 12 that this has all fallen apart? Well, it all happened well before Hooper was at 12. Oh. It, it continued after Hooper was there. It was happening when McCabe was there. It was happening when Beal was playing first receiver, when he stepped into the line. So oh. it was like everybody had blinkers on. Now, as I said to you, you asked me the question the other night, what was the turning point? Well, to me, it was Leo Lafano going down because oh. that, that altered everything. I look at that and think that's a very surprising decision to then take Pat, McQu- uh, Pat McCabe into 12, which is not a like-for-like replacement. Whereas if you'd, you'd put Barnes, uh, sorry, Beal on at fullback and move Barnes to 12, you had a better chance, because at least you had two playmakers, yeah. of carrying out your game plan that you had in mind. But regardless of that, the moment Leo Lafano goes down, you now only got one playmaker at 10. That playmaker has to step up and take even more responsibility. And as I said, in fact, Jock touched the ball five times in the first half. So how do you even manage that, to do? I mean, yeah, it's quite a serious question. How do you manage to do it? So was it just a full? Was it just uh, Genia just going to forward runners? Where was O'Connor putting himself that he wasn't managing to get his hands on the ball? He was standing behind the line, behind the forwards, yeah. not calling for the ball. Right. And you, you can't see him pointing, saying, "You take the ball one more or two more." I don't want it at the moment. He's basically just standing there. Not really giving direction. You'll see a couple of clips I've put in there where it's, you know, as I was recording the voiceover, I felt like saying, now, Jock, now, call the ball right now. There's a massive opportunity. Mm. And by the time he got the ball, maybe a phase or two later, the opportunity's gone. Mm. And, and look, that is decision-making and game management. They're the two things that are hardest for a 10 to actually learn. And the only way you learn that is by playing there consistently for quite a period of time. You can do all you like on the training park. When everything's going on and that crowd is roaring like it is, it's got to be second nature, not where you're sitting there thinking, what do I do now? Mm. So, mate, you've had a chance uh, to kind of watch it in the cold light of day. Well, I know you Well, I know you actually went home and watched it that night and then uh, have watched it since and obviously done the analysis on it. I mean, obviously, one of the new revelations uh, which you've put on the site is around what they didn't do with the attacking space. Anything else that's kind of struck you on the second and third watchings? Uh, I continue to be amazed that they didn't defend the line-out, the Lions' line-out. Mm-hmm. They put you know, very little pressure on them. Um, they gave them the front, which I'm going to put a video up tomorrow and, and run through that. They just made life so easy for the Lions. So, so, um, so did you see that article I tweeted? It was by Dean Ryan. The, um, um, he's, a, he's one of the preeminent English forwards coaches and pundit on Sky Sports up there. But he wrote an article basically saying he thought the Lions fell into a wallaby trap 
So his, he reckoned that the, you know, we stacked the back of the line out with our top jumpers and said, guys, you can basically have the front. And the Lions said, okay, we will. But his point was that nullified off the top of the, you know, getting ball off the top um, and, and, you know, fell into our hands. I mean, do you have a different view? Yeah, I do. I, I read the article. Mm. And when you go through each line out, you know, I, I don't agree. And I'll, and I'll go through each line out tomorrow and explain why. But basically, the first three line outs, the Wallabies gave the Lions the front. Now, one, one line out's after 30 seconds. And there's no way the Lions needed back ball for that because all they were doing was a crash at 12. That mm. was the one where Davies uh, ran into Lilifano. Mm-hmm. They were quite happy to win the ball at the front. And when you look at it, they do that with no contest. So they get quick, clean ball off the top. Phillips gets the pass out. The Australian back row, the, the, the reason you wouldn't want to go to the, the, the uh, front with your line-out throw is you give our back row time to get there to that first breakdown or to make the tackle. Mm-hmm. Because it was so clean at the front with no contest at all, the pass actually gets to Davis and the back row doesn't even make it to the breakdown. Mm-hmm. So it had no impact. It was... Our 10 and 12 tackled him. The back row didn't touch the breakdown. So after 30 seconds, they were looking for a nice, easy throw to get themselves into the game, and they got it. Mm-hmm. We just gave them a, a free hit. The second one, they actually ran a forwards play where the whole back pod comes out of the line-out, and they're going to run the ball. So you can't throw to that pod because their move, they walked in with a move that was throw it to the front, and we're going to pull the back out and just punch the forwards up. Mm-hmm. So they didn't care about back ball. We just gave them clean, easy front ball, which is exactly where they were planning to throw to. And the third one, they went to a shortened line out, put the forwards in the back line, and again, therefore, it doesn't matter because they're not trying to throw um, to the back. All they want to do is punch the forwards up. And they actually set it up so that Davis took the ball up um, on the punch with Warburton in behind him as the clean, and Heaslip was standing outside 13, and the second phase is go to 13 with Heaslip as the support runner. Mm. They didn't need back ball. Okay. And that, so the, for those first three, they threw to the front. They actually, did, they actually did whatever they want. On the fourth one, their play actually required that they needed back ball. So they threw it to the back. Right. On, on the fifth one, it was a drive, um, and they threw it to the middle exactly where they wanted to. On the sixth one, um, it was a shortened line-out where they were punching again. Again, front ball's just good for them. Mm. The only time you need back ball is if you're trying to play a wide play. Mm. So what you really want to do is get ball off the top of the back so the backs have got no forwards around them. But when you're punching, that doesn't really matter. So I did see that article, and, I'd, yeah, I'll just sort of I'll go through that tomorrow. But particularly the first three, we just got them into the game. Mm. Now... Okay. Some of their line-out throws were directly to the thrower. They weren't close to straight. Um, that, I had four of those. Well, I mean, the one that I saw was just... Was, I mean, the whole... The Lions line was lined up on their hooker. Well, their hooker, actually, what he does, and, and he was doing it every line-out, and um, he got pulled up by the assistant about three times. He starts right on the mark of where the ball went out and then takes a step to, towards his line-out and throws it straight down their line. Yeah. So... But there were, so there were four occasions where he did exactly that. None of them were on the outside shoulder, but they were all straight at the, the jumper's head. Mm. There so was did, no chance for the Wallabies to compete, even if they had gone up. Mm. So then the other bit, I guess the other piece of set piece was around the scrum. Um, and on you know, second viewing, um, I mean, obviously that first, I think it was the very first scrum uh, where, um, as you said in the 
podcast we did on, on Saturday night, you know, that looked like the Lions, looked like the Wallabies scrum was on wheels. But after that, it wasn't quite so clear. And actually, there was one where I just couldn't believe it, where um, Ben Robinson got penalised for folding in when it was, in my mind, it was clear as day that Adam Jones just reefed his arm under um, and Robinson was filthy about it. What was, again, um, I've no doubt you've gone through each of these scrums in minute detail. How did that scrum battle evolve? Well, I'll start with that one where Ben Robinson was penalised and no wonder he was filthy. That was just blatant. And it was in front of the referee and the assistant. I mean, even I could see it. I mean, you know, it was just, you know, and I I, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, anyway, there you go. And the Wallabies are complaining, of course, that that was the penalty that led to the line-out that led to the Cuthbert try. Mm. So had it gone the other way, which should have, who knows, but that's not the way rugby works. Mm. Um, generally, I thought, you know, apart from that one where they went backwards, there was another one where Alexander went down. Mm. And that's sort of dubious as to why it went down. Apart from that, Corbuzero, you know, he, he wasn't doing... He, he was a real sort of step back, so they didn't have the dominance crumb we thought they were going to be. He was basically the third-choice loosehead. Uh, Alexander coped quite well with him. Robinson coped quite well with Jones, so I thought our scrum was was pretty well level apart from those two. And then, um, so the last scrum that really things, you know, I felt the Lions were on top or we were just hanging on was 47th minute. And then the Lions replaced their props. And we didn't replace our props till a bit later on. From the very next scrum, we got on top. Mm-hmm. And then once... You know, we ended up with Kepu and Slipper, who were both fresh towards the end. I mean, effectively, that's two tight heads in the last 10 minutes. Mm. One, when they had the ball down on our line, and if they score, their game's well and truly out of our reach. And, mm. you know, Slipper gets his side up. Uh, James Hall will put on a really good second shove through there on the tight head side, but that allowed Slipper to get his side up, and then Genia poached the ball beautifully. Um, but then the last one, where we got the penalty that, you know, really should have won us the game. Um, that the, you know, the second shove from the whole pack was magnificent, and Dan Cole just crumbled under pressure from Slipper. Mm. So really, I mean, it's quite. I mean, uh, I'm kind of glad you see it the same way because I must admit, on my reviewing, and I haven't, I haven't even managed to get to the end of the game yet on my second view, but. Um, was that I'm sit- I was sitting there watching it and thinking, well, actually, you know, there wasn't a... I didn't think the Australian scrum got that dom- dominated, even in the first half, apart from that uh, first one. And then, like I say, I-, I thought there was a couple that were a little bit dubious. So, and we know what happened, like you said, in the, in the second half. Um, we even seemed to kind of get ascendancy. So that was, that was quite a turn-up. I-, I-, I guess the other bit that um, you look at... I mean, I, I had, so- had some discussions, uh, Mr. Timms, uh, Steve Timms, who... Uh, couldn't be on the the podcast today, but I know when he was doing the uh, player ratings, he was quite fired up about how he felt that, that our forwards got dominated. But you know, I mean, I couldn't help but think that you know, with a makeshift backline that had you know a, a flanker in it for a good half the game, um, you know, obviously our forwards couldn't have done that badly both in the set piece and you know in in the loose and have us in a situation where you know we had we left fourteen points on the park and only lost by two. Um, but you know, with with rewatching for me, I mean, I thought Moen was fantastic when I first saw it. When I keep rewatching it, he just he played out of his skin, didn't he? He did. I thought he was good. I thought James Hall was very strong in the forwards. 
Stephen Moore, Ben Robinson. You know, Ben Robinson averaged more run metres per run than any other forward. Well, those two runs were absolutely fantastic and capped off both of them with losing the ball. Yeah, so the two losses of the ball, he gave away a couple of silly penalties as well Mm. at the breakdown. Um, But look, I thought he was strong. Very disappointed with Alexander's around-the-park performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he basically, when you look at the stats um, that I've sent through to you, his numbers are very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kane Douglas, I thought, was solid. He, he did some good things, not, not a standout. Mm. I thought uh, Wycliffe Palu was just, well, he was a passenger, really. Mm. And uh, I've said in my article today, you know, effectively, he did something like 75% of his work in the whole match was done in the first 15 minutes of each half. <laughs> right. For the balanced 25 minutes of both halves... He was virtually doing nothing. Mm. And, you know, one of the gambles that I said last week and I think was a loss was, you know, why we had to have an out-and-out lock on the bench when, you know, if we'd had someone like a McMenamin or a Kimlin on the bench. Mm. If things went wrong and and when Gill had to come on so Hooper could move wide, you know, we needed somebody with a bit more flexibility to get Palo off. Clearly, he just couldn't go the whole 40 minutes of each half. Yeah. Um, But I'll tell you... Uh, Michael Hooper was quiet too, mm. whilst he was in the forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Gill came on, he was quiet as well. Mm. So neither of those two really got stuck into the breakdown like was probably needed. Um, and, of course, Robbie Deans has now taken the opportunity to call George Smith up as soon as he's fit. Um, we heard, obviously, from a well-placed source on Friday that Deans had made the statement some two months ago that George Smith would be starting. Yep. That was before he got injured, um, and that Michael Hooper would be the backup. So, um, unless Hooper is going to move to twelve, which gee, I hope not, but um, <laughs> you'd reckon that it's probably going to be Smith starting this week uh, with Hooper on the bench, uh, or maybe Ho- maybe Hooper starting with with uh, Smith on the bench. But yeah. I, you'd, if you look at that breakdown performance and sit down and you know, analyze it very clinically. They probably needed George Smith there on Saturday night because yeah. the two young guys just just weren't as dominant as they've been either at Wallaby level or Super Rugby level. Okay. Um, all righty. So now, like I say, rather than go through it all here, I mean, you've you've got those couple of articles there for people to go and have a look at, which you'll um, explain um, a hell of a lot more. We're also going to try and do um, another podcast later in the week after the Melbourne game. Um, that we'll put out there, um, hopefully with another guest. Um, so we'll have more time, uh, maybe to talk about what's going to happen next week and suggestions for that and those sorts of things. So we don't need to do that um, all here. Uh, so let's just take a, a little bit of time then to look at uh, the game, the next game that's coming up, which is tomorrow night, which is the Rebels against the Lions. As I said earlier, this is um, I think this is pretty close to the best team that the Rebels could. Uh, field with all their wallabies out and people injured and whatnot. Um, there's some uh, interesting matchups. I think, obviously, I think Jeff, if I've got this right, Jeff Parling, I think, has been pulled out of the, the Lions team because um, I think he's kind of got called up to the top team. But I was always thinking that the, uh, f- you know, with the, the, the chat and the way that people have been talking about the, the Rebels locks and Caden Neville and Hugh Pyle, I thought that was going to be an interesting battle this, this weekend, would you say? Yes. Yeah, so it it looks like, as you say, um, Parling will start, given that he's been pulled out altogether, when he was going to captain the Lions team tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that'll be Richie Gray and um, Evans from Wales will be the locks. So, I mean, they're, they're a pretty formidable pairing in themselves, mm-hmm. um, although obviously on the outer, although Gray may make the bench, or one of them probably will have to make the bench. I see also that Tom Croft has been pulled onto the bench for the Lions. So that might be giving some sort of signal. But uh, the other interesting thing is Alex Corbizero um, was having calf trouble on Saturday night and has been confirmed as being out for the second test. Oh, has he? Okay. Yeah, so that's going to mean Vunapola mm-hmm. will start for the Lions. And um, the Lions have brought in Tom Court, who uh, is, a, is an Aussie who's been playing in Ireland and has played for Ireland. Um, it just so happened he was in Brisbane seeing family <laughs> when the call came yesterday and they couldn't fly somebody from the UK or from Britain in time. So I said, well, you're in Brisbane. Come on down and you can play. You're on the bench for the Lions. Yeah, I've heard a few uh, jokes about that, about, you know, if you've, got, if you've got two brain cells, then you get yourself to, a, you know, wherever the Lions are playing. <laughs> you <laughs> get yourself right. there on holiday um, no matter what. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean... So I guess my hope here was, you know, we saw the Brumbies get up against a second-string Lions team. This team looks stronger to me um, than, than that team. Um, so they've got Tuolagi in the centres. Um, he's, he's paired up with Barrett, who obviously didn't have quite such a, a great game. Carney again at full-back. Um, Maitland this time at 14. Zebos um, on the other wing. They're starting with Farrell. And they've got Connor Murray, who's, um, who's played quite well. Then in the pack, it's Grant, Hibbard, Cole. Um, as you said, Richie Gray is going to be with Evans. And then, you know, pretty solid back row. Dan Lydiot, Sean O'Brien and Toby Felletow. That That's going to be a handful, isn't it? It is. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Lions back row from the other night, I mean, the only one that I, I don't think really played that well was Croft. Yeah, he was, he was MIA a bit, wasn't he? Yeah, so you would have thought that somebody like Sean O'Brien, given that the breakdown was such a big contest um, and will be again, that you would have thought that someone like Sean O'Brien would be playing for a spot. Mm. Well, especially um, now that they're missing O'Connor, um, O'Connell, because I thought, you know, that's obviously what he really brought, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's, there must be a big opportunity for either he or maybe Justin Tipperick. Is Tipperick on the bench for the, against the Rebels? Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. So the bench yeah. is uh, Best Court Stevens, was Evans. Um, so they'll move somebody else in there now as as as, as lock cover. Tipperick, Youngs, and Twelve Trees. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I would have thought that the back row Warburton actually didn't you know didn't have a starring role, but he did a lot of work. Yeah. He, he was their top tackler, um, and he was in there a fair bit. So he, you know, didn't play badly enough that. Gatlin is going to change his view on his position. Heaslip was strong. He, he did a number of good things. They weren't outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we didn't see any outstanding performances in the back row, I thought, apart from Moen. Yeah. Moen was clearly the best back rower on the field. Oh, yeah, by, yeah, by a stretch. Um, and then just to rattle through then the, the, the Rebels team, uh, we had, we've got, um, starting at the back, Jason Woodward, who has been in great form. Tom English. Um, has had a couple of, couple of great games. Mitch Inman, Rory Seide, Um I think there's going to be some question marks maybe there, I think, you know, as there has been all season around some you know, defence. Um, uh, Lockie Mitchell on the other wing. Hegarty is at 10. Uh, Burgess starts for the Rebels. 
um, at halfback, so he'll get a full run. Um, and in the pack, we've got uh, Nick Henderson, Jed Robinson, and Laurie Weeks. Um, we talked about Neville and Pyle as the uh, lock pairing. And then it's Safi. Um, I, I still struggle with his name. Uh, Fugler Staller and Gareth Delve um, as the back row. Uh, not a bad back row, but, geez, they're going to have their hands full, aren't they? Um, they are. And that's then, not, not a bad team for the Rebels, though, is it? No, not at all. I mean, and I think that's kind of the nucleus of the team that has put up some pretty good performances, you know, against the likes of the Stormers and the Crusaders. Um, and, you know, so, and strangled the life out of the Waratahs, didn't they? Mm, and what does the bench look like? Uh, some people I have not heard of. Pat uh, Leafa, um, Cruz Arnau, uh, pa- uh, Paul Allo-Emil, who we know, Luke Jones, of course, Geordie Reed, Nick Sturzaka, and Angus Roberts. Okay. Um, so, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said to Greg earlier in the, in the interview earlier, Far from being, uh, oh God, this is this could be an embarrassment. That's a, across the park, you know. There's a few, there's a few names there for the rebels, isn't there? Yeah, they. they I mean, I, what you and I said on the podcast last week is the Brumbies must be a chance. So we were pretty good there. I, I don't think the rebels can be a chance against no. against you know a test team. Effectively, yeah, a bunch of guys forming up a test team. I mean, the thing that helped the Brumbies so much last week was that back line that the Lions had to put out mm. where they no longer had the ability to move the ball wide they had to kick it um, or keep it in the forwards mm. because there just was no combination so with Tuolagi back uh, he'll obviously be wanting to press his case to try and uh, either get on the bench or who knows even force his way in I can't see that um, there's talk that Jamie Roberts might be back for the test match mm-hmm. that will be fit um, Tommy Bow is definitely available for the Lions. So you would think he'd get a, a wing spot. So, you know, Maitland and Zebo um, competing with, with Cuthbert, who, um, you know, obviously scored that try, but uh, wasn't brilliant, I didn't think, on Saturday night. So there's a few guys who've got some reason there to go out and play the best they can in the Lions team to try and crack the squad for the test. For sure. All right. So, look, un- unless there's been any uh, other <laughs> breaking sports news while we've been on, while we've been talking. No, I, I see that <laughs> word from the Wallabies. Re Digby Yoni is. We had no idea about any of this. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Do it like diggers, as as, as his clothing line says. Um, all right, mate. Well, look, good to talk to you again. Um, we, like I said, we'll be back for a, a second bite of the cherry later on the week, uh, and uh, so everyone, listen out for for that. Um, but uh, until yeah, I'll I'll speak to you then. Okay, man. Talk to you then. Yeah, right there, right there.